Hi, and welcome to this episode of The Roadmap, the podcast covering best practices and trending topics in auto finance. I'm Nicole Kasperson, Deputy Editor of Auto Finance News and your host for this podcast, presented by Auto Finance Excellence. Auto Finance Excellence, in partnership with McGlinchey Stafford, provides members with an unparalleled opportunity to gain professional development and networking resources in this competitive industry. And I strongly encourage our listeners to join our community of auto finance executives and professionals. Our goal here at The Roadmap is to welcome enlightened and thought-provoking guests from across the auto finance industry to talk out key issues and opportunities. And we have a great guest for such a talk. But first, before we get started, I would like to take a moment to thank McGlinchey Stafford, uh, our sponsor for this podcast, um, and present a few words from our sponsor. McGlinchey Stafford's attorneys offer leading-edge legal advice for the auto finance industry, working hand-in-hand with clients to comply and thrive in a complex market. Learn more at McGlinchey.com. With us today, we have Robert Tennant, Chief Legal Officer at Veros Credit. Robert began his role at Veros Credit in 2010, building the lender's legal team from scratch. He's also a part of our speaker faculty at the upcoming Auto Finance Summit to give us the latest on regulations and enforcement during a presentation on Tuesday, October 29th at the Bellagio, Las Vegas. I hope to see you all there. In this episode, Rob and I will discuss what lenders need to know when it comes to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's proposed guidelines for the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, or the FDCPA, and all the complexities that come with it. With that, we can go ahead and get started. I'd like to thank you, Rob, for joining us today, and we're so happy to have you with us. How are you doing today? It's great, and thank you for having me, Nicole. Awesome. Um, Well, you know, we can just kind of go right into it. Uh, Maybe we can get a brief overview, um, you know, about the new uh, debt collection rules and then go into some questions. Sure. Um, And and I'll back way up. Uh, The the debt collection rules apply actually to the Fair Debt Collections Practices Act, which was enacted in 1977 and really hasn't had a significant update since. Uh, In 2010, uh, as part of the Dodd-Frank uh, Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act, Congress did delegate rulemaking authority to the CFPB, um, which included uh, authority to make rules as to the FDCPA. Um, the rulemaking, I believe, started in uh, 2012, and we've finally gotten proposed rules this year. Um, the comment period on the proposed rules closed uh, this month on September 18th. Um, So what will happen now is the CFPB is going to review all the comments um, that it's received, and it will either issue another proposed rule, or if they want to make substantial changes, they'll issue, um, I'm sorry, they'll either issue another proposed rule if there are substantial changes, or they'll just issue a final rule. Um, Once the final rule uh, is issued, then the rules would take effect uh, one year later. So realistically, for uh, creditors and debt collectors, um, I wouldn't expect the new rules to take effect before uh, the end of 2020. Now, the 
content of the proposed rules, uh, it's fairly lengthy. Um, I, I believe it was something like 538 pages long. Uh, so it's, it's a really good read. Uh, but it, essentially, it boils down to three major categories. One, which is the, the most controversial, is setting uh, bright line limits on the number of calls that a debt collector can place uh, to consumers on a weekly basis. Um, the second, uh, which was probably a really needed uh, update to the FDCPA, was to outline the rules and procedures with regard to new forms of communication, such as text messages, emails, social media, uh, and, the, and such. Um, finally, there's quite a bit of rules centering around the disclosures that consumers are provided, um, you know, centering around debt validation, um, original creditor disclosures, um, and things that debt collectors have to notify customers of before they can begin collection efforts. Uh, one of the, the controversies, uh, you know, in addition to the call limits, is who exactly this rule is going to apply to. Um, the FDCPA has always been written in a manner that suggests that, it's, that it only applies to uh, debt collectors and not to first-party creditors, meaning uh, not to creditors that collect on debts that they hold in their own name. Um, it, it's a very important distinction uh, with regard to the FDCPA, especially in light of some of the, the new uh, protections such as the, the call caps. Um, and we can talk about that if you'd like. Um, but that's, that's essentially the overview. Like I said, there, there's quite a bit of substance to the rules. So uh, lenders and their counsel should be reviewing the rule carefully. You know, fortunately, there is quite a bit of time before, um, before they would take effect. Uh, but now is the time for, for lenders to be aware of what could be on the horizon. Yeah, definitely, and thank you for giving us that, that overview. Um, you know, if, if the CFPB's uh, you know, new debt collection rules are implemented in their current form, then how will lenders have to adapt in order to you know, work with the debt collection firms? So right now, as it is, uh, debt collection firms are generally considered vendors of the lenders. So. Um, lenders by now should have um, procedures and policies in place to monitor their debt collection agencies uh, to ensure compliance with all of the rules, including FDCPA uh, and also um, uh, UDAP, uh, which encompasses uh, debt collection as well. And so this should not be a new concept for lenders to have oversight um, of their debt collectors, um, what it'll do is probably just add a, a few new layers um, and, and some more administrative um, hurdles for the lenders and the debt collectors, um, but it, it should be something that can be achieved within the time period um, that we have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, what, what, roughly, what is that uh, time period that we have right now? Exactly. So, uh, as I mentioned, right now the comment period is just closed. Mm -hmm. The CFPB will take a look at the comments themselves and presumably read every one of them. And 
it will then um, decide if it's going to issue its final rule. Mm-hmm. Um, if it changes, it'll issue another proposed rule. There will be another comment period until a final rule, rule is issued. Then, upon the issuance of the final rule, there's one year for the rules to take effect. Okay, wow. And, there's, so there's, op- there's opportunity for potentially quite a bit of you know, prep time, in a sense. There is, in theory, um, although without having a final rule, it's hard to say what we are prepping for. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah. You know, we, we generally know the, the direction that the rules are going, um, so I don't think there's any reason for creditors and debt collectors not to be preparing right now, mm-hmm. um, even without the final rule in place. Thank you, Rob. And now I'd like to take just a short break for a word from our sponsor, McGlinchey Stafford. Whether counseling clients on their national retail and lease programs, defending lenders against fraud allegations or warranty claims, or representing companies in government investigations, McGlinchey Stafford's experienced attorneys are there every step of the way. The team's knowledge is called on by clients of all sizes to advise on matters affecting the auto finance industry, including origination, servicing, asset recovery, and licensing. McGlinchey Stafford's team of lawyers working with the auto finance industry includes nationwide leaders in regulatory and compliance counsel, as well as skilled advisors in insurance regulation, cybersecurity, dealer matters, and litigation providing a holistic approach to protecting auto lenders' interests. McGlinchey's deep bench and comprehensive experience in compliance and regulatory work from consumer finance to insurance is matched by few law firms. Whether a client requires a simple response, practical guidance, industry insight, or a more detailed complex analysis, McGlinchey Stafford is trusted to help. Learn how McGlinchey's attorneys can help you reach your business goals at mcglinchey.com slash auto hyphen finance. Thank you for the brief break. And now we will get back to the regularly scheduled program. You know, maybe we can go into those ways that, you know, the monitoring and oversight change uh, will change as a result, uh, you know, of the new rules, you know, if those are the rules that will go into place. Um, you know, is, is this where, you know, those like call caps kind of come in to play? It is. Um, and I think that there's going to be a number of things that creditors are going to have to, um, both ensure that debt collectors have policies and procedures in place. And also the creditors uh, and lenders are going to have to audit the, portfolios of these debt collectors to ensure compliance. Um, you know, if I, I can give you some examples, um, the creditors are going to want to review um, the debt collector's limited content message script. So the rules set out a safe harbor um, for messages uh, sent via you know, voicemail, email, text to protect the debt collectors from allegations that those messages reached third parties. Mm-hmm. There has long time been a, a conflict in the rules where certain information had to be provided on a communication with a customer, such as disclosing the name of the, the company collecting the debt, 
and which cannot be disclosed to a third party. Um, and litigation has been ongoing on this particular issue um, with courts coming down on either side and some courts just saying, well, that's not our problem. So the CFPB has uh, kind of cleaned up that issue by saying that you can have a limited content message um, and the message would be just containing the consumer's name, a request that the consumer reply to the message, the names of one or more natural persons, meaning not the debt collector agency, but an actual human that the consumer can reply to to contact the collector, then a telephone number, and finally, if it's via text or email, an opt-out. Um, and you'll see a lot of references to opt-outs. Mm -hmm. So provided that the debt collector uses this particular script, and a sample script is actually provided in the proposed rules, there is some um, safe harbor from that third-party allegation. So from the lender standpoint, that's going to require having that script in place and ensuring that messages that go out from the debt collector adhere to that script. Um, you know, another one is adopting a regime to address um, unintended third-party disclosures, which these don't fall into limited content message disclosures, but you know, say, for example, where a creditor used a phone number to contact a customer and then at some point, without notifying the creditor, the customer's phone number changed. And so now uh, creditors and debt collectors are faced with um, potentially a, a FDCPA violation for calling somebody who you know, has nothing to do with the debt. Mm. So from the creditor standpoint, um, the creditor is going to want to focus on pre-assignment consent, uh, the assignment being the transferring of the account from the creditor to the debt collector, where the creditor has a consent to, to contact the customer at that particular number or email. The creditor is probably also going to want to track either the last contact via that phone number or email um, and creditor will want to require that the collection agency also track the dates that any specific number or email was used. And finally, the collection agency will need to adopt the opt-out procedures on text and emails that I had already mentioned. <clears throat> All of this should shield against uh, you know, creditors using or debt collectors using out-of-date phone numbers and emails. Um, to the extent possible, but it also provides somewhat of a safe harbor if these measures are in place. Um, I mentioned that there are quite a bit of rules uh, proposed by the CFPB that deal with uh, debt validations, and um, they govern both the form of how they are provided, both in written and electronic form, and um, what the content is, and there are some added content. and so. It's a little lengthy to go into now, but creditors are going to want to make sure that the notices sent out um, by the debt collectors um, are compliant with these new rules as well as all of the state rules that still apply. Um, quite a few states have debt validation rules of their own. Uh, you know, with, with regard to the call limitations, 
this is going to be a tough one, um, which is why the limitation is a little controversial, because the creditor, in theory, would have to monitor or at least audit call logs to ensure that they, you know, for example, more than seven calls aren't made on a single debt within a, um, a week's period. Um, and if the customer is reached, that no more calls are placed for another seven days. And so, you know, it's a very difficult thing to audit. It's going to have to be part of it now. On the other hand, because this provides kind of a bright line rule, this may be a little bit easier to track than, say, having a relationship with a debt collector where the reasonableness um, standard just applies, which everybody interprets as a different number of calls. Mm -hmm. So that actually may become a little bit easier, not pleasant, but at least easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just there's so much to like to be able to go through and, and uh, to keep track of. It's definitely something that like for the lend on the lender side that they have to. Um, it's like revamping you know certain aspects of your your operations. Exactly, and, and, and like I said, some of this are some of this is necessary changes. Um, for example, the uh, CFPB addresses uh, use of social media. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of creditors will not use social media, um, so this shouldn't be a sea change as far as that, but um, you know, they, they kind of make some of the obvious statements, like you can't post information about a consumer's debt on a social media page viewable to the general public. Now they do, as I recall, have a carve-out that says if there is a direct messaging function on social media that only the customer can see, then the communications are permitted. However, I probably wouldn't trust a Facebook or you know, Instagram uh, to be completely secure from third parties. So that may be one where the creditor wants to be a little bit more conservative. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, another area that it addresses that's new is the use of work emails. Um, you know, some customers uh, just instinctively put work emails down on, uh, you know, applications and uh, forms. Um, and now the new rules propose that creditors should be looking at the domain on the email to see if it looks like it might be a commercial email address, um, either at a business.com or uh, a .gov address where the creditor would have you know, constructive knowledge that that was a work email. This a, an administrative nightmare. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the, the kind of saving graces on that is that the, the rule does mention that if the consumer consented to that ahead of time, that then it's permissible. Um, so what creditors are going to want to do is include languages language on whatever forms they use to obtain, uh, say, an email address to state, um, either please do not provide us with any work email address or in the event that a work email address is provided, um, you consent to um, messages regarding the debt sent to that email address. Um, and, you know, lenders are going to have to get with their counsel to formulate exact language on that. But it's something they're going to have to be aware of. Um, another requirement that's going to be a little bit tricky is that existing uh, time and place restrictions. Mm -hmm. 
on calls are now being applied to messages. And so, um, you know, in theory, you could, you can't place a call before 8 or after 9 p.m., but you could send an email anytime you want. And now uh, that's being deemed also a violation if you're sending an email at 2 in the morning. It makes sense, you know, to the extent that people might have their phone buzzing from emails at 2 in the morning, and that's annoying. But at the same time, it's just something that's going to have to be tracked. Um, fortunately, some of these issues are probably going to be able to be controlled by technology. Um, you know, companies already have the ability to control when calls are made and when emails are sent. Uh, and so I don't think that that's a huge hurdle, but it's just something that, that companies are going to have to be aware of. Mm-hmm. It definitely seems like the, just the awareness is, the, is a big hurdle and really just that internal aspect, right? Like having your, your employees properly, you know, vetted and trained on, on what the ruling, you know, requires and that sort of thing. Absolutely. And also very tight technology control. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you can't have your tech slipping in any way or else you, you risk your compliance issues. Exactly. And so this is when companies are going to want to go to their technology vendors um, and make sure that there's controls in place so those problems don't happen. You know, the, the problem with a technology glitch is it becomes a very large problem mm-hmm. very quickly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and, um, you know, really just my last question for you is um, you know, maybe just overall what are, if, if there's, I don't know if it's possible to have a quick list of, uh, of what uh, lenders should be doing to, pre- to uh, prepare for the Bureau's uh, new ruling. But, I mean, what are maybe some of those quick. Nothing's really quick in compliance, right? But maybe what are some of those steps? You know, I think that every lender needs to be doing a checkup on its vendor program Mm -hmm. and uh, for one, making sure it has one and also that um, there are good audit controls in place. Um, Lenders should also be having conversations with their debt collection agencies um, to make sure they have a plan. Um, debt collectors are probably all aware of these rules coming down um, and should have already started to formulate business plans on how they're going to address each of these rules, um, what technology they need to bring on to implement, and how they're going to track. And so those are things that need to be done right now. Um, once the final rules are in place, all of these controls can be be implemented within that year, but there's no reason not to be looking at what is actually required right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it will be interesting. It's 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 definitely you know good to that to know that lenders should be starting that you know preparation process now if they haven't started uh, already. So a lot a lot to prepare for. Um, but is there anything else, you know, just on, you know, this, on this front that, um, you know, you'd like to add, uh, before we, uh, wrap up? Uh, you know, just that I, I wouldn't look at any of these rules as being an easing off of the, the general overall arching, uh, rules that govern, uh, collection by first party creditors. Uh, as I mentioned at the outset, there are a number of states that have, uh, debt collection rules applying to first-party creditors. Uh, so I would not forget about those. 
um, as well as the possibility that some of these rules may be implemented under Dodd-Frank, uh, which means uh, they would be enforceable against first-party creditors and also by state attorneys general, um, you know, who who have the power and authority to enforce um, UDAP violations. So, you know, the lenders essentially need to be ready from all sides. Um, so now is the time to be getting ready. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, great finishing words. Um, you know, that does conclude our podcast today, and I want to thank you for joining Robert Tennant and myself on this episode. Stay tuned to autofinanceexcellence.org for more great podcasts.